How was Thanksgiving, huh? Good time? We had <laughs> a smoked turkey, a baked turkey, uh, beef tips, and um, brisket. Yeah, and brisket, and then all the trimmings. And it wasn't our big one because uh, we had, it was, this year is the off year, so some of the married kids were with um, those sides of the family. So it's been a very, anybody still eating turkey all these days later? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I, can you tell it's one of my, my favorites? Yeah. Uh, glad that you were here today. I want to show you something real quick. We've been talking that uh, every time we gather, I want to do something to show the building just to keep it in front of you now because this coming week, construction will begin uh, on our building. It's exciting. And um, one of the things that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago is that there's still some cost involved in what we need to do. And when I did that, I just kind of threw it out there as a blanket. I asked Pastor Todd if he would break it down for me. And then behind me, what, um, what media is going to do is to show pictures of what I'm talking about. Now, let me just give a disclaimer. These are not like exactly what our building will look like. They are what other buildings look like, but when I describe what is, is still we're raising money for, I want you to get an idea uh, of what it looks like. So pull those pictures up for me real quick. So lighting and um, uh, sound and all the things that have to do with presentation and being able to uh, put together a service from the side of what it looks like and it feels like and being able to uh, produce it, that's, that's part of what we're talking about. Um, just the soundboard is almost a million dollars, right? That's just what they call and, and you might be like, well, what kind of soundboard are you getting? I made them get, there's A, B, and C. A being the best, B in the middle, C at the lower end. I'm making them choose C to save money. The more expensive ones are $2 million to buy those things. It's just what they cost. They're not cheap, and inflation right now uh, isn't working on our side. Pull up uh, the next one here, and let's look. So the facade in the front of the building, you know when you drive by the building right now that it's a brick building, and having a brick building is awesome, but we want to put um, a little bit of decoration on the front of it now. If you're like, you know, does this have to happen to have church? No, of course not, right? Doesn't have to happen to have church. But I think that it helps it look like a church, which I think is an important issue. Now, this isn't the exact one. As I said, this is an artist, artist rendering. But it gives you an idea of the front and what we're trying to do with the front. To do that is $500,000. And so, like, if you're thinking, so, Pastor, how will you decide what we do and what we don't do? It's real simple. What we have the money for is what we do. And what we don't have the money for is what we don't do. And so um, the problem is deciding which of those things. Like a sound system would come before a facade on the outside of the building, right? And I know that you decorative people are like, no, you get that facade up and you yell as loud as you can while we're in the other. All right, uh, so show. Um, these are garage doors. So when you're in the building, if you've, if you've gone to it or if you remember where we did trunk or treat, on that uh, north side of the building, we're putting in big garage doors that lift up, right? And it opens up the inside and the outside so that when the weather's nice, uh, you, can, you can bring the outside in and have the inside go out. And you can open it up, and it's just going to be a neat feature to be able to be inclusive. There's a playground out there so that the kids can come in and out real easy, and adults can go out there and drink coffee and hang out. And all of it is designed in order to uh, let people be able to hang out. A playground uh, will be out there on that side, like I mentioned. By the way, is it this playground? No, I just asked them to find uh, you know, what we're talking about. So putting in a nice playground out there. Uh, I'm looking through my notes real quickly. What is the playground estimate? $150,000 is the playground uh, estimate. So, and that there's patio site work that has to be done. The garage doors. Um, you know, all of those things uh, are necessary to it. What else are you showing? Is there more? Uh, okay, these doors divide classroom space. So rather than building a solid wall in between the classrooms, 
if you put in um, these walls, you can open it up and then have a bigger classroom space, right? So rather than having to constantly like, okay, you know, we're going to have to build something else. If you can put in uh, ahead of time things like this where if you need a smaller classroom or you need more classrooms, you can get it. But if you want a bigger classroom, then you raise that wall. That's what that wall looks like, by the way, and it's soundproof. It's a nice wall, but those things aren't, um, they aren't cheap. I'm looking on here. Uh, Todd, I probably should have had you help me with this because I can't even find it on here um, right now. It costs something. <laughs> Where are you, Todd? You're not even in here. There you are. Todd, how much is that thing? Uh, $70,000. $70, okay, so they're not cheap, but it does give flexibility, and flexibility is important going into this new building. Part of what we ran into in our last building is that we were out of Christian education space within the first six months of the building. And then we were constantly trying to figure out how to get space. So the offices used to be, for those that have been around any length of time, the offices used to be where the children's church uh, were in the building in Lone Tree. We had to move the offices out of there by a whole other building to house the offices in order to give that up for children's church space. And then we ran out of children's church space within, it was like two year, at the two year mark, and we're having to condense classrooms. We're doing everything we can this time to allow growth to continue. Let's see if there's anything else there. Uh, that's just more of what those, those classrooms look like um, and the walls that are in them. What's the next one? And then there's me. So I think that's, <laughs> that's it. Is that it? Is that all of them? Thank you. Thank you for doing that. So, um, you know, our total there, we have raised some money. Uh, I, would, I think, I'm, I'm going to guesstimate, Dave, in the last 500,000 in the last four or five months, somewhere in there, a half million dollars in the last four or five months that you've given uh, above and beyond the four million. And so it's going in the right direction, but we still need to raise legitimately about $2 million to pay for everything that we're trying to do. And I'm not coming up with a heavy-duty like print a bunch of material and visit your house. I don't believe that that's how the Lord wanted me to handle this. I felt like what he told me to do was to present the need, ask you to pray about it, and if you will legitimately pray about it and then just do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, I promise you we'll have all that we need. We will have all that we need without having to go out and borrow a bunch of money. And so I, I, just, um, I just want to throw it to you that way. And I know that some are like, man, you know, churches talk an awful lot about money. I'm not raising money for a salary. I'm not raising money for any kind of personal. I'm raising money. You're going to use this building. Your children and your grandchildren are going to grow up in this building. They're going to meet Jesus in this building. People from all over the world will come to this building because of the teaching and training center. And the gospel will be preached at a magnified 100 or 200 times effect than what we've ever done before. You hear Jonathan Murley talk about what we've done in missions. It's going to look like a covered wagon compared to a rocket ship with what we do in the next 10 years of ministry. It's been good so far, but it is about to go to a whole different level. Partner with me. Partner with the Lord on this. I'm not, I'm not, Chris and I are trying right now to decide to, I, man, I don't, where do I want to go with that? I, Chris and I are going to do something else than what we've done so far also. Fair enough? Would you consider that also? And as always, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit. If you don't hear anything, I don't expect you to do anything. But if you do pray about it and the Holy Spirit says something, please do that right there. Good enough? Thank you, seven people. The rest of you who think, because I didn't say anything, I don't have to do anything. May the Holy Spirit wake you up seven nights in a row. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, we're in um, the first weekend of a new series that's our Christmas series, and we're talking about angels in this series. And if you're familiar with the Christmas series and you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they all tell a similar story about the life of Jesus, right? They start early, work through his adult life, and then into the crucifixion and the resurrection. And they all tell a similar story, so they're called the Synoptics. They're similar to each other. 
All of these gospels include the story about angels coming to different people to announce Jesus' birth, to talk about how to protect Jesus, to talk about the prophecies concerning Jesus. And so it's really interesting stories. As I was preparing for this message this week, man, I had such an encounter with the presence of the Lord. I'm somehow praying that today, while I'm teaching, I'm not just telling you about that encounter, but somehow that encounter could go through me and could touch you so that you experience the power of the Holy Spirit too. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I don't want you to be smarter when we're done. I don't want you to have more knowledge about the Bible. I want you to experience the reality of who God is, how good our Jesus is, and how powerful the Holy Spirit is in the world today, right? That's what I want for you. All right, so I'm going to read Luke's version of events. Uh, This is Luke chapter 1. I've got a few verses here, 19 verses to tell the story. If you're like, 19 verses... 19 verses, what it is. Follow along with me. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So their pedigree, right? Their pedigree is, (laughs) this is a fantastic pedigree. These are special people. In fact, the Bible is going to get into that. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That's a statement right there, huh? To have it be said of you that you are righteous in the sight of God. What more could you... (laughs) Righteous in the sight of God. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That is a big enchilada right there. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very what? It sounds like another story that puts them in the position that they're in in the first place. The very patriarch of our faith is Abraham and his wife Sarah, and they were old and couldn't conceive. And God did a miracle for them. Okay. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, look at this, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is important because this priest is serving in the function of ministering to God on behalf of the people, but the people are involved by praying. And I would just say to you, man, whenever we come together like this, part of our job, I'm ministering on your behalf to the Lord and from the Lord to you, We should all be praying, right? Asking God to show up, asking God to bless, asking God to move. Don't just sit there, be an observer, be a participant. Speak out loud, God, here's what I want this morning. Here's what I need this morning. Here's what I'm believing this morning. God, we want you to show up this morning, right? There's a little secret in this that we read and we we don't always practice. So then, look at this. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he gave him a high five. (laughs) I'm being facetious for this reason. That often when you read about people today who said that they saw an angel, they treat it as some casual, almost a joke. Almost as though, uh, you know, I had gone to uh, Costco I had stopped to get some gas. I had to pick up a pie. Uh, And then, lo and behold, an angel was there. And I said hi, and it was great. And then I went on my way. We describe the supernatural as though it were normal at times. And I just want to say to you real quickly, if you ever really do see an angel, every reaction in the Bible you can find is that people suddenly fell into fear. They recognized this is not of this world. This is not normal. This is not natural. Uh, if the angel presents themselves as an angel and not in human form. Now, in human form, it can be disguised. In fact, the Bible says uh, you need to be people who are warm and, and caring towards each other because some have entertained angels unaware. And the only way you could entertain an angel unaware is if they looked like you and I. But when they appear in their form as an angel, as a powerful angel, it's not some casual thing. This is a powerful thing. And I'm just telling you, this man, he is shocked. He's, every time he's been in there his whole life, 
He's only allowed to be in there by himself. No one else is allowed to be in there with him. This is a sacred thing. In fact, if you mess up in here, it can cost you your life. You have to do it exactly like it's prescribed to do it. You don't get to go in and wing it. He's memorized everything that he's supposed to do. How he lights the incense, where the incense is placed, where everything inside the temple is at. He's doing it by prescription exactly the right way because the Lord is holy. And you do it his way, not your way. So all of a sudden, this man for probably 40, 50, 60, maybe 70 years, he's been a priest doing this and always by himself. And suddenly an angel shows up. Not only is he shocked, but he's also afraid. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with what? With fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. That is the best greeting you could get from an angel. (laughs) Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been what? Your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him the most amazing name, John. (laughs) And he will be... (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're going to do it again, and I want everybody to speak out loud. And he will be a... And... To you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great... In the sight of the Lord. What a promise about your child. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Stop there for just a second. Go back. Go back. Yeah. Comment. To believe that it simply sells. Is to believe an incorrect fallacy about the power of life in the womb. If the Holy Spirit can be given to a baby before it's ever born, then that is not some lump of cells. That is a human full of the power of God. And if you sit there, like, wait, hold on. There's, no, hold on. This is not, I'm not looking for an audience to, this is not, I'm not looking for that. I'm trying to just simply make a statement. It's not a political statement. Life is not a political issue. It's a holy issue. It's an important issue. This is God. This is God saying that even in the womb, I formed you, I knew you, I His whole life is mapped out before he's ever been born. God did not say once he breathes air, then he becomes viable. God said right now he's viable. Right now I'm marking him. Right now I'm calling him. And right now I'm giving him the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. So my mind's not made up by what a politician says. It's not made up by what, what an organization. My mind is made up by what the Bible says. And if you sit here like torn in that or maybe, maybe found yourself in the nuance of life, I'm not speaking condemnation to you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. But if you are a follower of Christ, we do not follow our flesh or the world or the latest, greatest movement in politics. We follow our God. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. That's what we do. So he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord. Now, you've got to remember this, because I'm going to reference this in a couple of different places. And this is actually a quote from the Old Testament in the book of Malachi And in Isaiah, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom uh, of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? In other words, what's the proof? Now, just a thought here. If an angel showed up, wouldn't that be enough proof for you? Like if you had served God your entire life and the very reason that you are a priest today is because literally centuries, centuries before your birth, 
This reality has been taught and handed down. God has done this for your people. And you are now a priest telling other people about who our God is and the miraculous power of our God. So that when it happens to you, wouldn't it be enough that an angel, wouldn't that be enough proof for you? What more do you need? But it wasn't enough for him. So he asked the angel, what kind of proof can I have? What kind of guarantee can you give me? How can I be sure of this? I am, old, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Do you know that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah said? It's repeating itself. And then the angel said to him, almost like when I read this, I see an angel who almost is like he's incredulous at the, at the demand of a priest. And look at his answer. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Think about that for a moment. Not every angel gets that honor. This is a high-ranking, powerful angel. Who I'll, I'll explain a couple of things about Gabriel. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months, she remained in seclusion. Powerful story. The story of John the Baptist, whose job is to prepare the way for the Lord. So using these verses right here, uh, these three things stood out to me this week that I thought I would teach you. The first one, it says in verse 13 that God has heard your prayer. So let me relate uh, a quick story to you that will connect to my Wednesday reading this verse and a visitation by the Holy Spirit in my life. About 15 years ago, I was in Israel. And one of the places that we visit in Israel... Uh, is the Pool of Bethesda. Bethesda, for those who have gone with me to Israel, it's where the Church of St. Anne's is. And that's the church that we sing in. And if you ever go with me, it's, it's one of the most remarkable places because people from all over the face of the earth come to this church and the acoustics in it are absolutely remarkable. In this room, we have acoustics, but not those kind of acoustics. <laughs> like there's an echo, but it's a beautiful echo. In here, it's just an echo. And so in the church of St. Anne's, all of these people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, which is what they say heaven will be like, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be there, different colors, different people, different languages, all doing one thing, worshiping the Lord. And in the church of St. Anne's, I don't, it's just every time it just breaks out. Every time it just, it's spontaneous. All these different people group crowd into this church so that you have Africans and you have Asians and you have Americans and you have Europeans and you have China, you have Russians and they all begin to sing songs that you know the tune but you can't understand their words. But it doesn't matter because you're caught up instantly in the power of the Holy Spirit. Julia, you've been there with me. All of a sudden, you don't understand the words, but you know exactly what's happening. Everyone is worshiping the Lord in their own tongue, singing the same song. And suddenly, man, you're just all caught, and you don't want it to end. How many of you have been there with me? And Yeah, just raise your hand real quick. Oh, my goodness. That means not enough of you have gone with me. So I'll let the cat out of the bag. We are putting together the trip for 22. And I will announce that in the next, well, January. We'll open it up, and God willing, for two years, we've been unable to go. And then we all watch the news over the last couple of days, and it just seems like it's never-ending right now. But if it's within my power to get back to Israel, I'm going, and I think you should go too. It's life-changing. It's not a vacation. It's not some kind of a, a tourist thing. It's a spiritual experience to go, to, to experience even this thing that I'm talking to. You just... To be together with other believers. It's a little taste, a foretaste of heaven. So we worship in this place. And then right outside of the church is the actual pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means that God is gracious. That God is a healer. That God meets our needs. 
It was at that pool that a man who had gone every day, uh, the rumor was that when the waters in the pool get stirred, the first one into the water would get healed. And so there was a lame man who couldn't get up and walk, and every time the waters would get stirred up, he would try to drag himself to the water to get in the water, but someone would always beat him. And the Bible said that he laid there literally for decades. And then one day Jesus came along and asked him, do you want to be healed? And the guy said, yeah, but every time the waters get stirred up, someone beats me down to the waters. Jesus talks to him for a few minutes and then tells him, rise and walk, take your mat and get out of here. The man never had to get in the water because it's not the water, it's Jesus. So we come out of St. Anne's Church and we go to the pool and nobody's there. In fact, we were there filming a video right after it was when one of the, the skirmishes, I'd call it a war, but they don't last long enough. And it was one of the skirmishes between Gaza and Israel. And Gaza was sending so many missiles every day and Israel was trying to get them with the Iron Dome. And it had just ended. And we had gone over to shoot some video for a series on Israel that we were doing. There were only about a half dozen uh, of us there. Terry was there. Uh, Chris was there. I was there. Uh, our guide Reuben was there. Um, I can't remember. There was half dozen of us that were there. And because of what was going on, the country was empty. Nobody was there. So for the very first time, like when you go to the pool of Bethesda, sometimes it can be so crowded, you can't even get down there. Like I just tell people, hey, this is where it happened. You may not even be able to get close sometimes. But this time, nobody, I mean, nobody is there. So I walk over to the pool, and the steps all the way down to the water were opened. You see, when you go down, you go back in time. Right? Everything's been built on it through the centuries. And if you can ever go down, you go back in time. So I walk down these long rows of steps and I get to the bottom. And for those that have been here for any length of time, man, I've had a bad back. And I've had every kind of procedure you can imagine. Little things like injections and ablation. Bigger things like a microdisectomy. I've tried everything. Medication. I've tried acupuncture. I've tried muscle therapy. I've... I've spent thousands of dollars at time to never get better. And if you have a bad back, you know how bad that can be. And I went over to this pool and I walked down the steps because it's the first time it was ever open. And I got down to the water and I'm all by myself down there. And this ring, I wear this ring. It's got a meaning behind it. And there's a metal railing and I... I put my hand on the metal railing and it, it just ting. Kind of was shocking to me because there was no noise. And as soon as it went ting, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, do you believe that I heal? I said, of course I believe that you heal. And then he said, do you believe I can heal you? You know, when you pray for something for a long time, a long time, years, not weeks, not months, years. And it doesn't like mellow. It's like the more you pray, the worse it gets. So the devil actually tells you stop praying so that it won't get worse. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to keep pushing through? And I, for years, for years, and I really had gotten to the point where I was an unbelieving believer. There's an oxymoron. But the Lord said, do you believe that I can heal you? Now, I've done this a long time, and I know scripture. So rather than confess some kind of ugly unbelief, I just quoted a scripture to him. I said, Lord, if the waters were to get stirred, I might be able to get in right now because nobody else is here. And the Lord said, I'm here. And I turned around. Nothing happened. No lightning bolt. No angel. John, no angel. But I turned around and I started walking up the stairs. And like with each step, I could walk stronger and better. And pretty soon, man, I'm skipping up two steps at a time. And I go all the way back up to the top. By the time I reach the top, no pain. But I've had times in my life where it hasn't been a constant. I've had some relief. So I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, 
I go back to the hotel, no pain. I go to sleep that night, no pain. I wake up the next morning, no pain. Some of you may remember me telling this story. And 24 hours later, I have no pain. And so finally, I begin to start saying it out loud. I've been healed. I was so excited. I came back to our church, and I stood up in front of everybody. I've been healed. And I literally was healed. I went to my doctor and witnessed to my doctor. I said, I need you. We've got to do an MRI because I've got to show you something. I have no more pain. So the doctor does it, and he goes, John, it's one of those stories. Like, this is remarkable because all the things you've been dealing with, I don't see them on here right now. And it was actually in my hip. It's an SI joint, but it shows up in your lower back. And so he said, I don't know. It seems like you're, you're good. And so I'm like, no, the Lord healed me. What do you believe about healing? Well, I believe that in the mind all sorts of things could happen. For like a, like a doctor, a man of science would say, who doesn't have room in his vocabulary for God touching somebody. And I said, you're going to see. God has healed me. Man, and I went for I, like eight months healed. And then it came back out of the blue. I was so defeated. Like, what happened? You know, a couple of things the Lord told me, and my story's getting a little bit longer, but just real quickly, all healing in this life is only temporary. Because you still are going to die. Correct? And you still get older and things still wear out. Yes or no? And so this was going on and a battle was happening. And man, and then it wasn't as bad as it was in those days. But sometimes it would be bad. Sometimes it would be better. And I just went back and forth, back and forth. Wednesday. I open up the word. I'm studying Wednesday morning. I've already met with the teaching team. We've already gathered all our materials. We're ready to go. I open up the word. I start reading this verse. And I come right here, right into three. Uh, you need to go to verse three for me real quick. We'll get there. Now. It's 113. There you go. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been what? And I'm sitting at my desk, and I read those words, and the Holy Spirit said to me, your healing is coming. Healing is coming. Right? And I know the voice of the Lord. I know it. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. And as soon as I heard it, I knew, I knew what the Lord was talking about. I knew what he meant. Like everything just, it came together in one quick point. And the Lord, I am heard your prayer and I am bringing you healing. And then he said, I want you to go tell your wife so that you stand on this thing right now. Don't be afraid. Don't keep it in your heart and ponder it. Speak it out loud to Chris. Now look, this is me. It may not be you. When the Holy Spirit is ministering to me, my emotions just, I'm a mess. So I'm weeping. Weeping, and I'm trying to get the words out of my mouth. God just spoke to me, and healing is coming. And Chris knows we've been married almost 40 years. She gets up and just starts rejoicing with me, and I'm like, I don't know what the whole thing's about. Maybe it was a test, maybe it's just part of life. But he told me that healing is coming. And then she said, Did he say healing is coming for you, or that healing is coming? I said, He said, Healing is coming. She said, John, it's not just for you, it's for us. It's for us. And this powerful move of the Holy Spirit was happening in my life. And I'm reading this story about Zechariah and Mary. And I'm looking at Zechariah's doubt. I want to ask you a question. How long do you think those guys prayed for God to answer their prayer? How many years? How many decades? <laughs> how many prayers? How many tears? How much embarrassment? How much shame? How much hope? How many times did they say to their friends, I think this is the time. Anyone in this room who's ever gone through this knows all the times when you finally think that you are only to find the disappointment of not. And I see so many people shake their heads right now. And if that's not your thing, it's cool. But if it is, you know that disappointment. Now just put that in any answer where you're waiting and waiting and waiting for God to show up and answer your prayer. Daniel chapter 10. This is important because this also concerns the angel Gabriel. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. 
but I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me how long? 21 days. First of all, in history, there is no prince of Persia. This is a spiritual issue. And this is the angel Gabriel talking to Daniel, telling him, I have heard your prayer. God heard your prayer, and he sent me into response. But I've been in a battle trying to get here. Look at me. You've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been praying. And God is trying to say to you, I've heard your prayer, and the answer is on the way. Now, what do you believe right now? Because just like Zechariah and just like your pastor, in the length of trying to believe and hold out and keep saying the words over and over and over again, we find ourselves suddenly with some kind of attitude, atmosphere, lifestyle of unbelief. We are unbelieving believers. Yes, God can do that, but he never seems to do it for me. So somehow I just quit praying about it, but it sure would be nice. And then when the word comes, God is going to heal. What are you thinking right now? Do you believe that it's true or do you believe that I'm just on a tangent right now? When I say these words, does it bounce off of your head like it's, <laughs> like it's words that are meaningless? Or does it penetrate your heart and you find hope one more time that God has heard my prayer and the answer is on the way? Could it be that there's a spiritual battle that's been raging for whatever reason and right now it's the most important time to keep praying, to keep knocking, to keep asking and keep believing that God is going to answer your prayer. Mm. Let me give you the second one. Name him John. Verse 13, it's that same verse, it's just the second part of the verse. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, you are to call him John. I did this just because it's fun for me. John means God is gracious. It means to be graced by God. If you were to have a pastor named John, it would mean that God is being gracious to that church that God has graced you John means that God will bring joy and gladness now this is interesting and let me connect something to you that the Lord showed me you hear me say these words that before the return of the Lord this earth is not going to just go down to hell in a handbasket I know you look around and you think to yourself it's it's just over with man all that's left now is just to count bodies and and just kind of get out of the way and hide out and I keep making this statement that before the return of the Lord this earth is going to have a powerful world-changing like never seen before revival now wait if I can connect prophetic truth, something God showed me, as to why I believe that and why you should believe that, I want you right now, open your eyes, get ready for this. This is super duper important. John's job, according to this scripture, according to Gabriel, and according to Jesus, I'm going to show you. John's job is to prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah said that the, the, the emissary that sent before the king his job is to make the crooked place straight, the rough place smooth. He's to raise up every valley, lower every mountain. His job is to go before and prepare the way of the Lord. John's job is to prepare the way of the Lord so that when Jesus gets there, he can go right on through. There's no obstacle. That's his job. That's why he brings joy and he brings gladness. Gabriel. Every time Gabriel is mentioned in the Bible, and by the way, Gabriel is mentioned by name three times in the book of Daniel. I just read it to you. Uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 1, uh, when he comes and he talks to Zechariah, and then at the end of the chapter, when he comes and he talks to Mary. All three times that the angel Gabriel shows up on the earth in the form of, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God, all three times he announces the coming of of Jesus. To Daniel, he prophesied that the Prince of Peace is coming to the earth. And then about 800 years later, not looking any older, he shows up and he tells Zechariah, your son 
shall be named John. And his job is to prepare the way for Messiah. And then he tells Mary a few days later, you are going to bear the Son of God who is the Messiah. The angel's job is only to come to this earth and announce that Jesus is coming. So we have, though, two comings of the Lord. There's the first, and then there's the second. The first time he comes as a baby, as a servant, as the one who will die for all sins. But now he has been named the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So that when he comes back the next time, he does not come as a baby in a manger. But he comes in all power, in all glory, in all revelation, with all the earth looking and seeing, this is the Messiah. It's called the great, terrible, and fearsome day of the Lord. And these two people in history, their job is to prepare the way of the Lord. John, who comes in the spirit of Elijah, and the angel Gabriel. All right, now stick with me for just a second. <laughs> John's job is to prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 16 and 17, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let me read you <laughs> what this looked like, the revival that John brought to Israel. This is in Luke chapter 3. Go there real quickly with me. Now i got to read a little bit. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He's an adult now. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet. Here's the words. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for the Lord. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall be made straight. The rough way smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Okay? The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now watch. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same thing. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Tax collectors were the bad people. Even today, tax collectors are the bad people. These are not the ones who are like the ones that the church is filled with. These are the people who are living for themselves, extorting people. The, the, what makes a tax collector infamous and rich is that they collect taxes for Rome, but they can decide how much taxes, and they can keep the difference, and the people didn't like them. And so even these tax collectors are coming and repenting because John is preparing the way before Jesus gets there. Are you following me? Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then look next. Then some soldiers. These are Roman soldiers, not Jewish soldiers. These are pagans. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Then people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Do you get the picture? The people show up and they're repenting. What do we need to do? You need to be baptized. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. So the people are coming into. And then all of a sudden the tax collectors are coming into. And then the Roman soldiers are coming into. And even the Pharisees, the religious uglies, are repenting. John led a revival in the spirit and power of Elijah before Jesus showed up. Correct? I'm right, gonna show you one more thing. Guys, you gotta, you're gonna have to stick with me here. I need you to go to, um, well, no, I'm just gonna read this to you out of my own. This is from Malachi chapter three and four. Listen to this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord 
to be sure, Elijah comes and restores all things. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to the parents. The great and dreadful, fearsome day of the Lord is not the first coming of Jesus. It's the second coming of Jesus. So before he comes, the same thing that happened in John's day will happen on the earth. The Lord will send the spirit and power of Elijah upon the people to bring repentance and the soldiers will repent and the religious people will repent and the normal people will repent and the people who are just walking around will end up repenting and then suddenly Jesus will return in the midst of the greatest revival of all time. Are you following? You went like, woo, dude, I could pass out up here. Am I not? I was afraid I wouldn't be able to connect dots. David, did I connect dots there? Did it make sense? Are you just in shock? Or are you just, ho-hum, I don't want it to catch you by surprise. So think about this for just a second. The same spirit of Elijah that was sent upon John. It's being prophesied that before the great and fearsome day, the second return of the Lord, that same spirit will come and turn people's hearts. That's revival. Turn their hearts. So that when I say the greatest revival the world has ever seen is coming, I'm not just speaking like I wish this would happen. I'm telling you prophetically, the Bible says before the great and awesome day of Jesus' return, revival will sweep the world. Now what will this look like, by the way? So is there going to be like a fellow named John? And then the spirit and power of Elijah is given to that one fellow. I don't think so. I think that this spirit is going to be poured out on the face of the earth. And for those who are loving Jesus and walking with Jesus, you are going to walk in the spirit and power of Elijah, young lady. Dude, you're sitting in a church right now. You're listening to me and probably thinking of a lot of different things right now. And I'm telling you, the spirit and the power of Elijah is coming upon you. Then he's coming upon you. You are going to prophesy and prepare the way for the Lord. You are going to be the one who helps hearts be turned back to God. Larry and Nancy, your best days are not behind you, but they lie in front of you. The spirit and the power of Elijah will rest upon you, and you will help to prepare the way of the Lord. John Murley, this will happen for you. David Melson, this will happen for you. Amy and Ryan and Deb. Dan, even for you, Dan. Even for you. <laughs> because the Lord knows anybody who cheers for Kansas City needs an extra something on their lives. Steve, this will happen to you. This spirit of revival that we're talking about, this is not well-wishing. So, and maybe you need to think about this and try to put the two together. But the spirit and power of Elijah will come to turn the hearts of people to repentance before the great and fearsome day of the Lord. So, now, when does this happen? That's the, about that day and hour, no one knows except the Father. But we can know the season. And we are living in the season where the Lord can return at any time. So that means that before he returns, there is a revival. Guys, I want to be a part of that revival. I want Jubilee to be a place that, that can sweep into the kingdom more people than ever before. It is not, God is not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. We need to live in a mindset, in a heart of not looking at the world and cursing people who are on the opposite side of the aisle from us, who believe things different than us. What we need to be praying is that, Lord, you would get a hold of their hearts, not so that they vote my way, but so that, God, they love you, and they worship you, and they're excited about you, and they give their all for you, because the same thing that happened for them can happen for you. And the problem with a Pharisee is that we think they all need it. But the Pharisees, here's what's important in this. Can I just talk? Dude, I'm talking. I don't care if you want me to or not. Listen to me. The reason the Pharisees, only when a person converted from being a Gentile into Judaism, would you be baptized. 
But John is saying, even to the religious people, the Pharisees, you must be baptized. And don't tell me that your pedigree is Abraham. God can raise up from these rocks, children of Abraham. You want to serve him? You must have a heart that is for him, that chooses him. Nothing by your birth gives you anything. It's by your heart choosing God and loving God. So this, this signification of them being baptized, this is not some like, like, oh, you know, that's where the Baptists come from. This, it signifies that everybody must repent and come to Jesus. The religious, the well-to-do, the poor, the different, the messed up, the sane, those who are plagued and those who are living great, everyone must come through this baptism of repentance and come to Jesus. That's what he's calling us to right now. Dude, I'm excited about that. We're building a facility that's going to help magnify that thing. That thing. I'm out of stupid time. And I'm going to keep going for a minute. Let me, the last one. Let me talk about Zechariah's sin real quick because I think this applies to us. Verse 18. Look at Zechariah's sin real quick. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? In other words, give me a guarantee because I'm an old man and my wife is well along in her years. Uh, And then just a few verses later, um, in verse 34, pull verse 34 up for me real quickly. Mary has an experience where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says to her, Blessed are you, Mary, amongst all women. The Lord has chosen you. You are highly favored. And the most remarkable thing is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to touch you and you are going to bear the Son of God. And she asked the most legitimate question in the world. How will this be since I am what? What's the difference between these two? What's the difference? They both questioned. But why does the angel Gabriel bless Mary and judge Zechariah? And there's a message in this for each of us. Listen to this real quickly. Zechariah wanted proof. Mary just wanted an answer. Two different things. Zechariah was an old priest who should have known better. He has memorized the entire Old Testament by this point in his life. Everything that happened in the scriptures, not only does he aware of them, but he can pull them out in space and time. He can quote to you Genesis 12. He can quote to you the whole book of Genesis when God came to Abraham, when God made a covenant with Abraham, when God took an old man and his old wife and said to them, you are going to have a child about this time next year. He's aware of all those things. He's memorized all those things. He served God his whole life because of those things. And when it finally happens to him, he can't believe it's even possible. That's an unbelieving believer And churches are full of unbelieving believers. Do you believe that God is sending his word to heal you today? John, today? Or are you just like, yeah, in history God did that. You know why I think he judged him with being mute? It's because he would have messed up all the things God was trying to do by running his mouth. He would have cursed every promise. Undone everything God's trying to do with his mouth and God probably just had to shut him up. (laughs) What's the difference between Zechariah and Mary? How about this? Zechariah had a precedent called Abraham and Sarah and Mary was the first and only. This has never happened before and it's never happened since. Mary's not saying, hey, what's the proof of this? She's just saying, I'm a virgin And by the way, she's probably 14 or 15 years old, completely inexperienced. And here's this priest who's old and has served God. These are two different people. He should have known better and didn't say, be it done according to your words. And here this little girl who knows nothing says to the angel, be it done to me according to your words. Wow. Wow. I want to have that kind of faith right there. What time is it? Somebody tell me. 10.26. I want to read these things about Gabriel the angel, and then I want you to go as fast as you can. Okay? You have to. You have to. Now, you might be like, well, Pastor, why are you going to read these to us? Why don't you just close? Because, dude, I worked hard on this message. (laughs) And I want you to hear this. 
Let me give you seven facts about the angel Gabriel. Gabriel's mentioned in the Old and the New Testament, in the book of Daniel and in the book of Luke, Matthew, and Mark. Gabriel stands in the very presence of God. Think about that, the very presence of God. He's not an angel on the outside. He's not an angel in heaven. He's not an angel somewhere in eternity. He stands in the very throne room, in the very presence of God, what he is witness to. This angel, this angel shows up. How important are you if that angel comes to you? Gabriel is one of only two angels named in the Protestant Bible. So there's Gabriel. Does anybody know the other angel? Very good, church. Very good, Michael. The Bible doesn't call Gabriel an archangel. I didn't know that. Catholicism has named him an archangel. In the books that aren't included in the canon of the Protestant Bible. And because of the way that I grew up, somewhere in my childhood, I was taught that he was an archangel. And sometimes those things that you are taught, that you just assume, hey, they're in there, you never check for yourself. The only one that's named an archangel is Michael. Now, Gabriel fits the description of an archangel, but the Bible does not call him an archangel. Gabriel looks like a man. There's times when people look at him and he looks just like a man, but he is an angel. Gabriel scares people. And most importantly, Gabriel's job is to prophesy Jesus. He did it with Daniel, Zechariah, and Mary. So, here's my concluding, and then we have to take communion, so you can't leave right away. Good Lord. Good Lord. Yeah. John Boy, get on up here and get ready. Yeah. Okay. So listen to this. If the spirit of Elijah that came on John the Baptist in order to prepare the way of the Lord and that Jesus said and it's prophesied in the Old Testament that before the second coming, the great and fearful day of the Lord, the spirit of Elijah will come to restore all things is what it says. What is it going to restore to the church? I think it's going to restore healing. It's going to restore prophecy. It's going to restore miracles. I think God is restoring to the church before Jesus comes back the original intention of the church. Okay, so hang on, hang on. So if the spirit and power of Elijah is going to return to the earth, and we're just not sure how, I think it's going to come to all people, people who are ready, people who are looking and people who want it, you will help prepare the hearts of people. Then the other element that could also come to the earth because every time the spirit and the power of Elijah comes before the Lord comes, the other thing that has come every time to announce the coming of the Lord is the angel Gabriel. And it may well be unbelieving believer that the world might see the angel Gabriel or we might hear reports about the angel Gabriel coming to announce the return of the Lord because the Bible says that at the return of the Lord the archangel shouts now is that Michael or is it it's just not clear but Gabriel's the one who announces the coming of the Lord so at the return of the Lord, the archangel shouts and the whole earth hears it. Prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. It's like a thunder, the Bible says, that will shake the entire earth. Could you imagine that everything that you feel and touch and smell and see, you think this is reality and this is all passing away. Do you want to know what a believer is? A believer is actually the reflection of a different reality. Most of the world only reflects the reality that they live in. And you and I have the chance to reflect a different reality. You know Jesus and you get to reflect that in this world. Are you with me right now? Does it do anything to your heart? Maybe it's a message that God's got to just like move your heart again. But the hearts of fathers and mothers to children and children to mothers and fathers, it just simply means that God is going to soften hearts and turn our hearts towards each other. The division that you feel today is not what always is going to be on this earth. We've learned to become unbelieving believers and we hate people. coming in the spirit and power of Elijah right now to remove the rough 
to knock down mountains, to raise up valleys, to make the rough smooth and the crooked straight. I'm trying to say to you, you need to make it as easy as possible for Jesus to move in your heart. Get rid of the hate. Get rid of the antagonism. Get rid of the judgment. Get rid of all the stuff that you think is so important. What's important to God is not our politics. What's important to God is people. Jesus died for people. Chinese people. Russian people. American people and Asian people. Black people and white people and yellow people and red people. Jesus loves everyone and we are the reflection of another reality. But we're reflecting the reality that we're eating from all the time in church. I'm calling you to repentance. Come on. It's time to stop all of this. It's not about picking sides in this world. It's about picking the label of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Maybe that will make me unpopular. Maybe that'll make me a person who can't in Western Christianity build a big church. But give me a hundred people who are on fire for Jesus than a thousand who are unbelieving believers. But don't leave here mad at me. Leave here with your heart turning towards the things of Jesus. If I'm right, man, come to this baptism of repentance. God, sanctify my heart again. God, remove the stuff that's gotten hard and send the way. Church, I'm, I'm, I know I need to stop, but I can't. This is important right now. There's a call to repentance right now, to let your heart be circumcised, to cut away the stuff that's in the way, to become tenderized and to have your heart turned toward the things of God so that you're not all up. So when you look at the world, instead of just being like, ah, I hate it, you should never say those words. We must love this world, not the systems of the world, but the world, the people of this world. Are you with me? May the Lord move your heart. May the Lord move your heart. May the Lord move my heart.